Welcome to Real Life Fiction. I'm Matt James with Conundrum Publishing, international best-selling author of The Blood King. And today I'll be talking to author, publisher, and crime scene investigator, Kent Holloway. Kent, how you doing? Thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Happy, uh, glad to finally be able to sit down and talk to you. It, uh, yeah, I've I've been difficult for you to get a hold of, and I, <laughs> I apologize for that. But I I really thank you for having me. It's uh, definitely a, a pleasure to be here. No, well, thank you. Yeah, we uh we were just talking off camera, and uh, you and I have known each other for almost ten years. I think is is kind of the timeline that we were, you know, putting together, and um. At least, at least, you know, for me, I wasn't a writer at the time. I was actually just a, a beta reader and an arc reader for a, a mutual uh, friend of ours and, and, and mentor to me growing, you know, growing in this industry was uh, Jeremy Robinson. And um, you did uh, three books with him. Um, was it just the three Jack Sigler books that you've done? Yeah, yeah. The okay. Jack Sigler, Sigler Continuum series. The Continuum series. Yeah, those were awesome. And that was Jack's Escapades in the past, uh, which was during... Um, Oh, nuts. I can't remember the name of the book. What was that during? Uh, that was Omega. 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 Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, wonderful books, wonderful storyline. Um, uh, happy to see that the the final book in that series is, is coming. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know it's something that uh, Jeremy and um, uh, Kane, uh, King Gilmore, have been um, attempting to put together for a little while. And then one one thing or another has delayed it, but it is coming and that's that's cool. But uh, yeah, you and I, you and I met uh, through a uh, little private group we had with Jeremy, and um, I just—it's hard to believe that it's been—it's basically been ten years. Yeah, that's—I mean, it, it goes by fast. You don't even realize it, but uh, you know, I—I I loved writing Jeremy's books. They—they they were mm -hmm. uh, so much fun, and and I'm—I kind of—I mean, I really miss it. Um, yeah, I, I can I imagine. Nudging. I keep nudging Jeremy because I've got more continuing uh, story ideas floating in my head. And th that's so. what's cool about that is it being, you know, it being set in period and mm -hmm. you can basically do anything. Yeah. Because it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a immortal slash time travel type of thing. Well, it's time travel, but it's immortal. And then, you know, you, you get it. And you could, you could basically do whatever you want. You can set them yeah. in any period you want. For those who aren't familiar, um, the Continuum books were essentially uh, Jack Sigler is Jeremy's um, leader of his chess team group. Mm -hmm. And something happened to where uh, he he somewhat, I mean, he becomes immortal essentially for a brief period of time. Sure. Uh, well, uh, that's relative. And uh, <laughs> and then he sent back in time, like, to, I can't remember how far back, but but I know my, the first book I wrote was set in the time period of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and yep. and Dan, Daniel and yep. um, I think that's it because he's sent back with Alexander. Yeah, yeah. You know, which, with the the Hercules character and correct. Um, so I'm I think that's where he, I guess, stopped or started. Yeah. I guess. So so with this immortality, he could go back in time, but he couldn't go forward in time, mm -hmm. other than the long way around. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, the Continuum series is about his um, journey to the present time and to get back to his team. And so, um, 
it was a lot of fun uh, playing with with Jack. I was accused of of being somewhat of a masochist on the, that first book because I had a, a, a whole lot of fun uh, torturing Jack uh, Jack Sigler. Yeah, uh, yeah and you, know. you did it. You did, you also did it again in the uh, the second book. Yeah, I, I I toned it down and I didn't kill him as often, but. Uh, <laughs> But it was, uh, I mean, he drowned like how many yeah, times? Yeah, well, okay. Uh, I and mean, come was, on. I think, yeah, in the, se- the second book, he was eaten by sharks, like uh, yeah. mo- multiple sharks. <laughs> oh, I I went easy on him. Oh, he's only yeah. been eaten by sharks and drowning like seven hundred <laughs> times. Oh yeah. Oh, but that was so much fun to do. Oh, and, especially uh, the pirate stuff. I know you had yeah. a ton of fun doing uh, that. I so. loved, I loved that. And the it voodoo was, stuff. I know you were yeah. such a you know mm-hmm. that's obviously you've been you've been it's very like. Yeah, yeah, you've been very, very vocal with your mm-hmm. the the Appalachian roots and like a mm-hmm. lot of the 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 what what are the like the um the the voodoo witch doctor like swamp yeah. lady type of thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah, and voodoo being able and to, hoodoo, voodoo and hoodoo. Yep, hoodoo mm-hmm. voodoo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a little little CCR action, I think. Uh, <laughs> but but um, so besides an author, you have one of the most unique perspectives when it comes to just life and using that perspective to write mm-hmm. and you're you're nearly three decades into being a death investigator correct and yeah. i just think that's and and saint augustine area right because of the history and the age of that city put that together with your job that that's mm-hmm. just like of course this guy's going to be an author this a fiction writer <laughs> i mean come on yeah, it's uh it's absolutely been uh just fantastic. Yeah, I've been a forensic death investigator since 1995 and um essentially I work for a medical examiner's office. So, mm-hmm. um anytime somebody dies uh an unnatural death, I get involved. Unnatural, um, of course. I mean, it, it can't be like normal. It has to be yeah, unnatural for Ken it, to get involved. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so um, you know, go to the scenes, investigate the scenes, investigate witnesses, and I have seen some crazy, crazy stuff. Oh, um, yeah. And that kind of so, goes to, uh, I died swallowing a goldfish. Yeah, yeah. My you book, know. I died swallowing a goldfish, and other life lessons from the morgue, was a compilation of. I don't want to say fictionalized, but I, I mean, I kind of fictionalized these, mm-hmm. these, these, uh, real you elaborated stories. on them. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, most, mostly as they always yeah. say on TV to protect the innocent, but, uh, you know, to protect names and, and stuff like sure. that. But, yeah. uh, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want people who are suffering loss to, to get my book and read my book and, and know for sure that I was talking about their loved one or anything. Yeah. Like you got to redact. You got to, you got to, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. So, yeah, but that that has led, and like you said, Saint Augustine. I live in the uh, oldest city in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, lots and lots of history. Walking downtown is like stepping into the past. Yeah, um, I love it up there. I, yeah, you know, especially yeah. you get you get down to El Castillo, and you get down yeah. to uh, just the cobblestone streets, mm-hmm. and you just you get into like the old district. I've done the ghost tour on Halloween mm-hmm. night. Uh, so yeah. you're on Halloween night in the oldest city in the United States. Yeah, doing a ghost tour in the oldest cemetery in the United States. You're yeah. just like, yeah. it's it, it's whether you believe in ghosts or not. It's just you're there and you're in the moment. You're like, wow, this is really really weird. <laughs> it's just, like, and we have a running. I think we have a running competition with Savannah as being the most haunted 
Jeez. Ta- town in the and United i could see that because that's another that's another you know really old town so i mean yeah. i get it old city mm-hmm. they that's... say that they say that saint augustine uh the 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 main downtown area anyway mm-hmm. um had there's only within there's only like a couple of feet uh, underground uh of any particular area that you're not going to find bones human bones wow um because they're just kind of like basically like yeah piled on top of each other at this yeah. point because there's just so much and and you know as that comes up in my job a lot i you know uh people find these bones and and uh, i get called out and mm-hmm. we have to determine whether or not they're historic or whether they are modern the, to the typical rule of thumb is anything under 70 years um, has forensic value and needs to come into our office anything wow. past 70 years um would and be that historic. could just be unexplained you know there might be files there might be cold case type of stuff mm-hmm. yeah i wow. mean it could be a, okay. a you know uh there's a lot of uh old uh, old murders in in this area sure. that haven't been solved so um yeah. but uh you know the St. Augustine is one of the few areas that I know of anyway that actually has their own uh, archaeologist. They, they have a full-time archaeologist uh, on payroll. Wow. To, um, that's, that's actually really cool mm-hmm, <laughs> as far yeah. as like the, the possibilities, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, we had, a, we had an opportunity. I had an opportunity once. They, uh, they were renov- renovating one of the buildings downtown. And... Um, they broke ground inside this building and they found this, this huge, I mean, find, uh, it was, it was actually considered the oldest graveyard or oldest gravesite in the United States. Uh, wow. the, 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 well, as far as European settlers go. Yeah. Was, non, uh, non-native. Okay. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. And, uh, this was the, what, what's considered to be the first European settled, graveside and what was fascinating to me was like you had all these skeletons lined up and and you know where their plots would have been and you had uh black men laying next to white women uh right. along the same so i and i was like this is fascinating because this was you know we're talking the 16th century uh yeah. essentially and when racism was, you know, you had slaves, you had, you know, yeah, all this yeah. stuff going on. So I asked the archaeologist about this. I said, so how is it that we have Africans and we have, you know, Europeans buried together? And he said, they're Catholic. And Catholics didn't distinguish um... the races uh, back then. If you were Catholic... You were privy you were to be very you, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there, so that I, was I it. found that was. I found that really. Yeah, I found that gotcha. fascinating. That is fascinating. Wow. I mean, there, there's so much to to unpack with that. Where, mm-hmm. like, you see, like the, the things that I love is especially you get to like countries in like Greece and you get into like, I guess that era and that part of ancient history, and you see them doing the exact same thing, right? They're remodeling or they're tearing something down. And then there's this massive mosaic of tiled yeah. mosaic. And then they start clearing it off. And then like, I follow these Instagram pages and I see these beautifully preserved mosaics, mm-hmm. these t- and they're gorgeous. And you're just like, I'm jealous. Cause we don't have that. We're not, right. we're babies when it comes to history. Absolutely. 
So and even even Saint Augustine, as old as it is, um, yeah. is is uh, still a baby. We're yeah. probably we're the the oldest brother, probably, but uh, but sure. still, it is. You do get a lot of that that kind of thing here in yeah. Saint Augustine. So yeah, that's one of the reasons I love it. It kind of tangent, but it 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 fits. Is um, I like watching the cutscene movies for like the Uncharted video games. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, they're they're amazing. I love the games, but the cutscene mm-hmm. movies are great as far as just entertainment and just mm-hmm. filling time. I'll do some like just editing, and I'm just you know you're just like you know, and you're just mm-hmm. editing and you're reading and you're you're you're, you're just kind of getting numb. So on my other screen, I'll put on a cutscene movie from Uncharted just because I don't have to pay attention to it. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. but I'll I'll constantly look over because it's also an interest of mine. And there's this there's a part in Uncharted Five in the Lost Legacy with Chloe and Nadine. And, you know, Nadine asks Chloe, where haven't you been? And she goes, well, I've never been to the States. And she's like, really? She goes, well, yeah, I mean, everything I'm looking for is usually old. And, you know, <laughs> the United States has only been founded for a few hundred years. Right. And I'm like, I'm sitting here as, you know, full-blooded American going, dang, she's right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like all the cool stuff that all of my heroes and idols and like stuff that I look up to in this, in this genre. Right they're not usually American. Like we have national treasure, but that's about it. And it's like, mm-hmm. like there's really not a lot to grasp when it comes to like, I guess just history in the U S past the founding fathers. Right. And you know, that's why I'm like, Oh, that's why I'm always been so obsessed with like Egypt and you know, Greece and like that kind of stuff is because it's so old. That but it's... but this is where, this is where my fascination with Appalachian folklore comes in because mm-hmm. I haven't always lived in, yeah. St. Augustine. I grew up in the hills of Kentucky, right on the, yep. the the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and um, the, the the folklore. It, the, first of all, you got to got a factor in the fact that the Appalachians all came from essentially the Celtic nations. Um, mm-hmm. When you know the Irish, the Scottish, they came over to the New World, and they immediately started moving west. And they populated a large majority of the, the Appalachian Mountains. Then you have them interacting with the Native Americans at the time. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have um, uh, the, the Celtic folklore and and all that stuff, but you have the Native American folklore, and they begin to intermingle. And so you get this um, this really um, uh, rich, not only folklore, but also archaeological, if you will, um, kind of mixture. Um, yeah. Oh, I can and, imagine. I can imagine because you, it's, you, it's, it's two sides, two completely different sides of the coin when you really think about it. Yeah. And that's the reason when I wrote uh, uh, The Curse of One-Eyed Jack, which mm-hmm. became The Cursed, and uh, then it became... Uh, Let's see what what was the last one I called. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Is that the uh, is that the Mara? Is is it that one? The Mara. Right. No. 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 Uh, Dark okay. Hollows, but uh, anyway, okay. it doesn't okay. matter. I yeah. I've taken those I've actually taken those books off the market for now anyway. So Sure. Uh, um but you know, I I the whole thing was that it started with the Devil's Teeth, which was a Stonehenge-like structure. That gotcha. the native that the Native Americans had built, but 
even though the devil's teeth doesn't exist, I know that there are monoliths that the Native Americans mm-hmm. have built within the Appalachian Mountains um, that I think could probably use. I mean, even the mounds. So many of those yeah. mounds have been have gone unexplored. Those are like the serpentine-looking ones, right? Well, you've got you've, you've got various ones. Okay, because got... I remember the ones that they they look like snakes, and they're just yeah. they're like burial mounds. And they're just so fascinating to see. And I'm like, you're right. They do deserve a deeper look when you really think about it based on, you know, that's pre-Columbian history here, mm-hmm. you know, pre-European yeah. history. And you're just like, we don't really know a lot about it unless you're like on the ground studying it. It's not really like widely published. So that would and, be you, kinda... and not very many, at least not very many books, not very many no. um uh, movies or anything like that really mm-hmm. touch on it. And so for you who write yeah. uh, archaeological adventures, that mm-hmm. may be an area for you to pursue in the future. It, it actually is something I've been diving into because, or wanting to dive into because um, like my, my Jack Riley character, for instance, he lives in Wyoming uh, and, you know, he lives in Cody, Wyoming, you know, in the middle of the country and um, his adventures and his missions and, you know, Typically, you know, they're global, but every few books, I'm trying to have him come back to the U.S. to do something because, you know, it's like I I don't want to just have him as this world adventurer, but then the U.S. just gets neglected. But it is the reason is because there's so much more to use as far as creative purposes outside of the U.S., well, and you so, you want to you want to be exotic as well in your stories, yeah. and mm-hmm. and so yeah. the the most remote places you can think of, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you took him to Appalachia, then you run the risk of turning it into a whole deliverance situation, and and uh, true, you know, uh, yeah. that would be that would be the most um, exotic thing I I could really think of. Yeah, the and, only other thing I was thinking was like the Rockies, but at the same yeah. time, it's it's. It's so, and that's the problem with the U.S. is it, there's really no unexplored, any kind of like cool remote areas. It's all, uh, you know. But, but here's the thing I love about Appalachia as well. Sure. Oldest mountains in the world. Okay. They, they are without a doubt the oldest mountains in the world. That's why they're so small. Over the, over the millennia, they have been whittled down, whittled down, Eroded whittled away. down. Sure. So, you know, you don't have the rocky peaks in, mm-hmm. in Appalachia. So with me and my imagination. That makes, that makes sense. I the, haven't really looked at it that way. That does make yeah, sense. It's just they're eroded because they're so old. Yeah. And okay. the, 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 um, the, for me and my imagination, I ask myself all the time, what hasn't been discovered in the oldest mountains in the world, especially so covered in trees. Sure, sure. sure. And then that's where you could start to bring in more of the the native american side mm-hmm. of things because i mean they were here for a long time before mm-hmm. we got here so there's there's got to be just like in other parts of the world where you have a, a set uh populace a set community that has another community come in that set community that original community wasn't just standing around doing nothing you know right. so right. they they were living just like anyone else would have been so um so b- back into that you um you probably have the most widely, your catalog is very wide, very broad, you know, your, your portfolio. And there's nothing wrong with that because you just have stories to tell and you just have a variety of interests. Um, 
But I will say probably what the last five or six years, you've really honed in what you like, yeah. what your authorship, your purpose is as far as the, the, the mysteries and like, like that side of storytelling, um, where, I mean, I, I, I know where it came from more or less, but where was like, cause you did the Jack Sigler stuff and it was great. Mm -hmm. You know, you've done your, um, it was the Ezekiel Crane stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you've, you, you've had like these, the, the Enigma stuff, you, you've had like your different stuff. Um, and then the mystery stuff just really, really, really started to pique your interest more and more and more and more. Um, where, I don't want to say where it started, cause I know it's always been an interest of yours, but like, where was it? We were like, no, you know what this, like when I decided to do the action adventure stuff, pretty much hundred percent, mm -hmm. I felt so good about the decision. And so like, oh, yeah, I, I felt like I had a direction. I had that, uh, I had that epiphany, that moment myself. Uh, yeah, the, I, you know, I started writing back in 2000, well, writing, full i mean full on trying yeah. to sell my stuff sure uh, 2008 2009 right about the kickstart of the ebook revolution mm -hmm. um and uh originally uh i was going to be first of all i was going to be a christian action adventure author okay um so that's where primal thirst the first book in the enigma directive series kicked off mm-hmm um and and of course here's the thing about christian fiction they don't like monsters and in tra traditional christian fiction sure um if they are not wearing bonnets and uh being <laughs> you know uh being uh quakers or or anything you know having romances then christian industry doesn't really care for that so um my enigma directives series um went more uh just mainstream action adventure um yeah uh and then yeah you're right i i so i, I i've been around I've, I've i've worked with you know i consider ezekiel crane paranormal mysteries uh but not mm -hmm. really mysteries per se i've done a fantasy novel um yep. uh, which is my my winter king uh book yep. uh failed failed miserably and it's it was always such a disappointment because the book is so good but i yeah. could never get traction with that um and I, I was all over the place and a hero of literature of mine uh warren murphy he is the creator of remo williams or co-creator of oh. remo williams the destroyer okay. series he yep. became he became a somewhat of a mentor of mine before he passed away and i was okay. so proud of that that was such a to me uh uh a bucket list kind of situation. Yeah. Because, yeah. It's an accomplishment. Because, I mean, you can just say yeah. it's an accomplishment to really have I, that. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I had grown up in the, in the seventies and eighties reading, uh, Rainbow Williams, especially at, in the, in the eighties after I saw the Rainbow Williams movie. Sure, um, yeah. but anyway, I'd sent him, I think I'd sent him the curse of one eyed Jack, the first Ezekiel crane story to read. And he, he, got back to me and he really liked it. Oh, I should preface all this by saying that I never wanted to write mysteries because of what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. um, I read and I write to escape. So sure. to do mysteries is yep. it's like, why am I going to spend all my time when I'm not working on work? 
Yep. So it just never appealed to me, even though I grew up reading Sherlock Holmes and, and Agatha Christie and, and mm-hmm. Hardy boys and all these things. Uh, I had, I just had no interest in writing it. So anyway, he read, uh, Warren Murphy read, uh, the curse of one eyed Jack and he got back to me and he's like, I really liked it. But he said, um, the only thing I don't, you know, first of all, he, he told me, he says, your plots are too, um, are too thick. I have too many subplots, too many uh, <laughs> things going on. He says, keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. But then he said to me, he goes, can't, he goes, I don't, what I don't understand with your background, why aren't you writing mysteries? And I told him, I said, just what I told y'all yep. was that I have no interest in writing what I do for a living because it's just, so he, he challenged me. It's he, too he, close to the vest. It's it, too, it's too real. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. he, but he, but he kept challenging me to, to, to uh, dip my toes in it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about it for a while and I was like, Hmm, if I was going to write about forensics, I don't want it to come from a, a, a direction that I see every day. Sure. So from that, Ajax clean was born. Yeah, that was a Ajax, clean, clean exit, right? Clean, clean exit. Ajax yeah. Clean is a uh, professional crime scene cleaner for the mob. So mm-hmm. hitmen do their thing. He comes in, cleans up the crime scenes. Um, and that one wasn't necessarily a mystery. That's what I consider to be a crime thriller. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed it. And and I really had a good yeah, you time. You got to dip your toe game. in it and realize, wow. It, it, I, it, it, exactly. Yeah. Sure. Um, and you know, I have people clamoring for more books in that series. And the problem is I like the first book so much. I can't find a story good enough to, to be a sequel for it. So that one, I'm not saying there won't be another, another book in that series, but, um, uh, it's one of those things where only until I have the right story, I actually had somebody, uh, uh, want it back so bad that they paid me and I felt so bad because they paid me to actually write the sequel and I, and I never could, I just couldn't get it um, done because I couldn't come up with that story. So anyway, point sure. is I'm, I moved. Uh, you wanted to do uh, it. You wanted to give it, you know, do it justice. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause so, we've seen that and that's the movie industry, right? We've mm-hmm. seen the, uh, the uh, perfect example that we've talked about on my movie podcast that I do is mommy 99 mommy returns. Yeah. Mummy 99 was like as cinematically perfect as it gets in my eyes when it comes mm-hmm. to casting, writing, location, mm-hmm. special effects, considering the era it was made. Right. And then The Mummy Returns was the studio cash grab. Because mm-hmm. it was only two years later, it was 2001 that was released. And you're sitting here going, with as big and as massive as it is, two years, like nowadays, two years is easy because most of it's CGI. Right. But two years back then when a lot of it was still practical and you really had locations and you had travel and you had this and you had that, it was too fast. It was too quick. And you could tell it was rushed um, to the point to where the Scorpion King thing at the end with the rock, uh, the animation for Scorpion King wasn't done until three weeks before it hit theaters. And it showed it, it looked it more showed. like a, a Sega Genesis uh, it animation. Showed. I'm the first one that will admit that that was very disappointing at the end. Up until then, I was fine with it. Uh, but the, the end was so disappointing because you could just tell it wasn't ready. Um, and that's the same idea as you're like, oh, I could, I could do a sequel. I could do this. But then you're like book two. And then, yeah, book three could be a masterpiece, but you've lost everybody. Well, and, and that's another thing too. I know, 
I've got a reputation for starting series that I don't finish. <laughs> and and part of that is it's not that they're I've not finished. Done it a couple it's, times. <laughs> it, I get it. But but it, it's but you know, and my thing is they will be finished eventually. Yeah. But until I and another favorite author of mine, um um uh, Tim Powers. Mm-hmm. Uh I had my my favorite all probably number one favorite book uh of all time is his uh, on stranger tides sure. and i had i had reached out to him about is there going to be a sequel to on stranger tides and he told me he goes there are if there's a story that that's right and i now i totally understand that yeah that concept uh, i'm not going to just write something for the sake of the money i, I don't have to i'm yeah i have a full-time job Sure. Um, some authors out there who, and you know, you or, and Jeremy and, you know, mm-hmm. this is your full-time job. This is what you've got to do to make money. Yeah. Uh, I can kind of understand that, but I'm allowed to be selective because yep. I have a full-time job with full pay, full benefits and everything else. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have to, but my point, I, I don't want to, I want to, don't want to digress too much, but from clean exit, I decided, well, let's try my hand at, uh, a pure mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, so I was like, well, what kind of mystery, uh, of course with me, there's got to be some kind of a paranormal element to it. There's got to be some kind of, yeah, folk- that's always been an interest of you from the, fo- yeah. from the get go that from what I know of you from yeah. the get go, that's always been something. Yeah. So there's gotta be some folklore behind it. There's gotta be something. And, and, um, and it hit me one day, you know, what'd be funny is if there were some murders being committed and the grim reaper had no idea how it was happening, uh, had no idea that these people were mm-hmm. going to die, had no idea who was committing these murders. And, you know, what would happen if this, if, if the grim reaper encountered this situation. So from there, Silas Mott, who is the grim grim reaper was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and Silas, by the way, the name Silas Mott, uh, Silas comes from one of my actually favorite, uh, books I had to read in high school is one of those. Uh, I don't want to read it, but secretly Re- I love required it. reading. It, exactly. <laughs> was, was, uh, Silas Marner. So Silas comes from Silas Marner. Got you. And then Mott is the Canaanite god of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, his, Makes sense his, then. Yep. His, his secret name is Anku, uh, which is the Babylonian, a Babylonian god of the dead. Okay. So anyway, um, he comes to this sleepy little town, just actually a little bit south of St. Augustine called Summer Haven. Summer Haven actually exists, but it's basically just a, stri- a strip of, of beach that no houses are on. Gotcha. But um, he comes to Summer Haven uh, to solve this, uh, these, these weird deaths that are happening that he's got no knowledge of. And there he meets up with a um, uh, police chief of a small town, beautiful woman. Um, and they, so from there, it becomes sort of a castle-esque kind of yeah. a, a mystery story. Cool. Um, very, you know, lots of humor, but you've got a lot of uh, mythology involved in regards to the different cultures of death. You have uh, Santa Muerta, um, who is Silas Mott's ex-wife, uh, 
who who goes by the name of uh, Esperanza. In reality, she's Lilith. Okay. Um, yep. The, you, the, the succubus. Yeah. You've yeah. got um, uh, Anubis. He appears in this series. I've got a whole bunch of other. Uh, and then I take uh, I take a character that I created for a, a book series that David Wood and I had mm-hmm. started a while back, uh, the Tattered Cell story. Yep. Um, and uh, which was Tombstone Voodoo. Uh, yep. But it was Baron Voodoo. Was, was this, he's a, a G'day from the Voodoo Loa. So I put him in as sort of the unseen bad guy in this mystery series. And so uh, anyway, from, from that, the Grim Days mystery series were, was born, and I was absolutely hooked on mysteries at that point. Um, and I will say there is, and we've, we've joked about this, but it's, it, you've actually taken it to heart and run with it is, you know, it, when you see it, it is a Kent Holloway book. <laughs> like, I know, like yeah. we've commented, yeah. oh, that's a Kent yeah. cover. Like we know yeah. it is like, there is a specific, and, and you know what the branding, I will say that is a one thing that this, that a lot of people in this industry don't understand mm-hmm. is branding. When you have when your covers do not in a series specifically, when your covers do not support each other, you know, if they're not the same style from book to book to book, it does matter. It It does does matter. matter. I'll tell you right now, but like, so the last couple of years, the covers that you've had produced and produced, um, I'll tell you, man, every time I see them, I know exactly who wrote them. I don't even have to see (laughs) the name. I know they're yours. And, but that's, that it's a compliment because there's, there's a branding that I know is a Kent book. And that's what's so like, and, and your, your, you know, your Silas Mott books are a perfect example of that. I, uh, you know, those, I do most of my covers myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. And I, yep. and I, and I, I did on the on the, uh, Grim Days mystery series, Silas Mott books. I did the design of the covers, but the artwork itself was done by Wayne Miller, who is a phenomenal mm-hmm. artist. Um, he uh, he really captured the the skeletonized version of the Grim Reaper and, uh, yeah. fu- and you know his fun his fun side. Uh, yeah, he's really, more of really the fun. he has a, a more of a, a funny bone, a little more comedic. <laughs> well, and the that's sunglasses. the thing. Yeah, yeah the, the, it's yeah. The fun thing about the fun thing about writing Silas is you know everybody has this image of the Grim Reaper as mm-hmm. this you know well he's you know, uh, kind of solemn. And, um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to go, uh, with, Oh, Oh. by the way, that's Morty riggers around here somewhere. I was about, yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, my cats are rigger and Morty. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I wonder, I wonder why. (laughs) So Silas is, uh, I, you know, he's kind of inspired a lot by Nathan Fillion. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, so he's a lot lighter. He's, he's got a, yeah. a, a humorous side. He becomes enamored with the land of the living and his mm-hmm. favorite things are war, warhead candies. Um, <laughs> he loves, but he loves candy in general. Um, he, uh, in the book I'm writing right now, he's become fascinated with the eighties. So yeah. he's, he's yeah, dressing. I saw you post something about that yeah. and that he's fascinated with the music, Walkmans yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 And he's so dressing that's... like Don Johnson in Miami Vice. So, and leisure, and, leisure shoot with the uh, rolled up sleeves. Exactly. So yeah. he, uh, 
and you know, and he's not a skeleton walking around. He actually uses ectoplasm to make his uh, human body. So, mm-hmm. um, and he never gets it quite right whenever he re redoes it. So he's an interesting character to uh, to play with. Yeah, that's one thing that I've been dabbling back into was when I first had the idea to get back like fully into action adventure and action thrillers and that kind of stuff. Archaeological thrillers is what we call them now. Um, I wanted to be as grounded and realistic as possible. I wanted to be able to explain everything like in a real way because I know it happens sometimes in storytelling. And this was the reason, and I've been very open with this with people. This is the reason I stopped writing the Hank Boyd Adventures, my first series, was it got so big so fast that I couldn't control it. And I got so deep into the series that when I stopped and after I wrote the fourth book, I went, where in the hell am I going? Right. Like, it's getting so hard to, to, um, to rein in and so hard to control because there's so much going on. Like you said, like with the subplots, there's just so much going on that I'm like, and they got good reaction. They sold very well. But once I got to the end of the fourth book, I was like, whoa, now what? Like, where am I going? And so I, I paused and I was like, okay, uh, and I'm like, so this is the direction I'm going. This is what has to happen for it to make sense. I don't like it. Like, I don't want to be supernatural superhero, like the cheesy, you know, like gods of the world movies, you know, right. like where it's, you know, like modern day gods and there's superpowers and there's this. I'm like, I don't want to write like Marvel stuff basically. And I'm like, wow, where did I like, you know, and then I'm like, okay, pause, work on some other projects, try to kind of like rein in. And then as, and then of course I was a new author at the time. So as I've learned and as I've realized what I'm good at and uh, what, what sells, you know, what I write that sells. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, kind of gives me a direction on where to go. And um, when I was really adamant about grounding and really trying to keep it um, like real, um, I came up with the current book I'm writing, which is my Relics of God series. And I told myself, you are allowed to get unexplained and phenomena and supernatural, but keep it as like, like realistic as possible at the same time without getting like so magnificently over your skis. And that was my problem is I got so far over my skis that I couldn't like grasp what I was actually trying, the story I was actually trying to tell. Right. And, um, you know, that's where using stuff like this, like the paranormal, the supernatural stuff as parts of your stories. Um, personally, it's been, it's been difficult for me to get back into it and be okay with it. Cause my brain always goes, well, that's not possible. I'm like, Matt, shut up. It's not supposed to be possible. Right, like, right, it's fiction. But this is where I mean, and and I have a rule myself with my paranormal or supernatural stuff, and that mm-hmm. is, um, unless I'm writing a straight up haunted house story or something like that, um, I am. Uh, I, I, it, my rule of thumb is this: keep the supernatural in the background. Like my 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 uh, mysteries, the murders have to be committed by a human. Mm-hmm. the the person who dies has to be human um the method of the murders have to be human uh it's no fair to use magic yeah 
to kill somebody. So I, I, you know, even though you have all this folklore and and paranormal stuff going on in my uh, Grim Days series, you that is all peripheral to mm-hmm. the whole story. It the story, the mysteries themselves works whether or not Silas Mott is really the Grim Reaper or not. Sure. And so that's how I've anchored myself mm-hmm. as far as that goes. Now, there is yeah. a subplot throughout the series in which um, the thing that's causing these deaths to happen without his knowledge is a, is a object called the Hand of Cain. Uh, Cain being the first person to commit murder, um, yeah. which, uh, you know, Cain and Abel. Essenti- yeah. Yeah. Which, which essentially will um, uh, devour the souls of the people who die. Uh, and give those that that energy that life force to somebody else and so the the subplot throughout the series is him or at least for the first three books is for him to try to find the this artifact um, gotcha. and 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 that kind of thing so so you got a little bit of it in there where oh, and and in the meantime you know he's meeting all these different uh, characters of the death uh, mythos um mm-hmm. You know, and some are his friends, some are his enemies, and but still has nothing to do with the specific murder of that specific book at that specific time. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's essential when you're writing it, whether it's mystery, whether it's adventure, whether it's it's whatever is is you've got to find an anchor point Mm -hmm. and make sure that it stays in that in that place. Now, if you want to write a story of God's and on earth or whatever then that's fine do it and and don't use an anchor point if you don't want to but if you want it to retain some level of credibility then i think that you've got to find that that anchor point let it let it stay there yeah and i think it also just depends on your um your your background like my background being you know i just a a history nerd you know like and really loving um like the what if of history and like the stories that have been told and, you know, you, you, you kind of like, okay, so like, um, like in, like in, in some cases, like my Jack Riley stuff, um, they are historical events that have happened and, or could have happened or maybe unexplained events. Like my Venetian pursuit book I released earlier that, uh, a couple months ago or a month ago, um, is two unsolved mysteries coming to a head and it's Amelia Earhart's disappearance and it's what happened to Marco Polo's fleet. And so it's a treasure hunt, but it's also a mystery, you know, unsolved mystery, sure. uh, you know, missing persons cases. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of one of those things where I'm like, I'm taking these events that are mysterious and obviously giving myself as much creative license as humanly possible because that's what makes it fun and unique. Because these are stories that have been told, so you have to really make it your own in any way you can. And right. um but the way I was doing it, like, I know I'm like, I'm sitting here going, in today's world, how plausible is an uncharted island? <laughs> Pretty much not. Uh, it's what Google Earth and satellites and all that stuff have kind of ruined that. Unless mm-hmm. it's specifically kept off the maps, which, you know, we know. Like Skull, Skull Island. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, you could be, you know, whatever government conspiracies you believe in. But, like, there are things that are purposely kept, kept off of mats because of national security issues. Sure. And, like, I get that. So what if there's other things? I mean, it doesn't really come into play in this. But I'm, like, in my head, I'm going, okay, Matt, you're a fiction author. 
disbelief is suspended. People expect it to be, you know, outlandish. They expect it to be big and over the top. And based on sales, based on ratings, they accept it. So don't overthink it. Just write a write a fun story. And but you know, grounding it, I'm grounding it with these real events, and then just playing around with them. And you know, and that's what that's I guess the way I do it is I take these historical events and then play with them. And um, I learned that from Indy. I learned that from Nathan Drake. I learned that from Lara Croft, where there's a lot of truth in all of these stories, and then they just make it bigger and bolder. Right. So, because because I don't go as uh, supernatural or as paranormal as you do or as some other authors do, at least not yet. You never know. You know, the night is young. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so the influences behind a lot of your work, um, like I'm I'm an open book. I've talked about this a million times on different podcasts. You know, indie, Uncharted, Tomb Raider. Like it, it's all the action adventure, Mummy ninety nine kind of stuff. National Treasure. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm very visual. I'm very like, I take in information better when it comes in video form than I do, you know, reading in this and not that I, I just don't read as much as I used to, which is unfortunate, but, um, it's just time willing. Um, what about you? Like, where did you realize like, wow, you know, I connect with these stories maybe more than the average person does. And that's where I think a lot of writers are is they connect with these stories in like a deeper way than just entertainment. Right. That's a hard question for me to answer because I, I can't pinpoint it, it really even movies or, or books or whatever mm -hmm. to as far as what I'm writing now goes. Um, it, most of the inspiration for my mysteries actually come from my job. Um, the sure. first book in the Grim Days series, um, it, it, it starts out with uh, Silas Mott on a beach standing over the body of a naked woman who'd been stabbed to death. Um, as you read through the story, this doesn't give anything away, so don't worry about it. You find out that she was a, uh, a practitioner of Santeria and that her Santero, her priest, had put a death curse on her. Um, that actually happened in my life. That was a, a, that was a, a case that I worked. Um, and then I, that's, it's ridiculous and amazing. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, yeah. there's so many yeah. adjectives I could come up with to yeah. describe how cool that is. Yeah. So from, <laughs> from, from there. Yeah. I, um, I took, I took that real thick case and I, and, and essentially worked my story around it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, even the way some of my murders have happened, it, it's, you know, I, my former medical examiner boss, he passed away last year, but I used to go to him with, okay, I want to kill somebody. Uh, and I want to use this particular uh, method. What would be the best way to, you know, to go about yeah. this or what? And he was always really uh, quick to give me, you know, great answers. Um, but as far as mystery, like other mystery novels go and stuff like that, this is one of the issues I've got. Yeah. I've got favorite mystery novels. Don't get me wrong here. Mm -hmm. But um, I tend to write uh, what they, you know, lighthearted traditional mysteries or, or even uh, I'm, I'm sort of verging towards cozy mysteries. Um, but the problem sure. that, that I have with cozy mysteries right now is um, I've got a few favorite cozy mystery authors, but most of them are geared, they, even though there's some paranormal, like my favorite ones are um, – like uh, usually have a ghost as, as part of the uh, uh, E.J. Copperman is one of them who had the uh, haunted uh, guest house series. Um, 
So he's got, but for the most part, most cozy mysteries are to, as a male, as a red blooded testosterone, sure. yeah. testosterone infused driven male. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, the cozies tend to be a lot more feminine, um, too lighthearted, too soft. And I don't mind. I love lighthearted. I as, yeah. as because of my job, I don't like gritty. I don't like dark. Yeah. I, I mean, I got kids, so I mean, for me, uh, the, I'm used to PG and PG. Yeah. G. I, the more the I mean, more I'm used Dis to it, and the yeah. more Disney it is, the better for me. Um, but and honestly, from well, a storytelling aspect, it's harder. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it is. But, it's so but, hard to do it without going too far over the top that you blow past your rating so exactly yeah but my problem my problem with it is uh oh here's rigor by the way mm -hmm. uh um <laughs> get out of the <laughs> way cat uh <laughs> but uh the, the the problem with cozy mysteries is they they tend to have uh, every one of them have some kind of a hobby some kind of an interest some kind of a whatever and it with cozies it's usually something like knitting or yeah. gardening or baking or you know any number of things and so it became you know as far as finding a favorite uh sure. series that that really helps to it's difficult it's one of the reasons why i've i've been kind of toying with creation of a of a a new uh subgenre of cozy called brosy mm -hmm. um, yeah i've seen you i've seen you float yeah, that around significant it's not well liked um for obvious reasons uh the, the the apparently there's a connotation with the word bro that a lot of people find disturbing bro. and disgusting bro. the funny the funny thing <laughs> is it, bro brosy was not my idea it was actually given to, to me by an elderly female who uh you know she thought that would be a great name uh, i've since started referring them instead of brosies to uh, uh, uh using modifiers for coat with cozy so essentially uh, my book uh murder on voodoo island mm -hmm. i consider to be a um a pulp cozy so okay. it's a blend of of pulp of, of the 1940s and 50s mm -hmm. uh with with a cozy mystery um so just using modifiers to to to, to essentially do that so it's difficult for me to find uh, that but as far as outside of the mystery genre itself once again i mentioned tim powers um i loved like i said his his book on stranger tides if you haven't read it you you need to it is essentially don't if you think you know what it is because of pirates of the caribbean they essentially just you know disney had the rights to tim powers book they wanted to use the, those rights to Tim Powers' book, and they they massacred Tim Powers' book yeah. with with that particular uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, not that I didn't love the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but it's not Tim Powers' book. Yeah, if you know on Stranger Tides, there's a different perspective watching that movie. Like I don't know it, I know what it is, yeah. but yeah. I don't know it as as a fan. So I'm sure if I read it and then went, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the thing about so. Tim Powers, the thing about Tim Powers that is amazing, and and this goes true for all of his books, is you know we're talking about my folklore and mm -hmm. and reality and stuff like that. He is a master at blending folklore with reality, and most of his books are um, 
are like that. And the same is true with Neil Gaiman. Uh, Neil Gaiman yep. is another influence of mine. Um, matter the of fact, God series. It, exactly. Know, and recognize and the name, but David, David Goleman uh, actually yep. said that my book was uh, the, the death warmed over Silas Mott uh, first book was uh, sort of a cross between uh, Castle and uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods, uh, which okay. to me was was a huge uh, that's a nice kind of, yeah. you know blurb, but um, but so so Neil Gaiman and the way he does, I I only wish I could write as whimsical as as Neil Gaiman. I, I absolutely love just the way he writes, the way you know the. Uh, the verbiage that he uses yeah. is just phenomenal. But I do try to not emulate his method of intertwining fa uh, folklore with reality, but um, using him as a reference point a lot of times. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, could could Neil Gaiman get away with this? Yes, he could. So let's try it. You know, well, that's that me. I'm like, would would Indy or Drake like get themselves into this and would this be like a story of theirs? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, all right, I'm writing it. <laughs> it's just right. like, you know what right. I mean? It's the same idea. I 100% I understand where you're coming from with that. And I do that all the time too, where I'm just kind of like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be like picking out specific stories and going, um, I don't want to say I'm picking them apart and going, maybe I could do this better, but I would just do it differently or I would take this direction and see where it goes. And I mean, I've done that so many times with some of Jeremy's books, with like Ernie Dempsey's books, mm -hmm. with like some of my favorite auth other authors that I that I love. You know, Matthew Riley is a huge one. That's where Jack gets his name from. Jack mm -hmm. West Jr., Matt Riley, Jack Riley. Um, that was just an homage to him saying, you know, thanks sure. for the inspiration. But mm -hmm. like I see stuff like that and I'm like, it's almost like a confirmation bias that I that what I'm doing, I feel like I'm 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 doing it in the way that I see fit because I feel like I'm I'm respecting those that came before me that inspired me and I'm not just like you know playing with a loaded gun at this point and saying to hell with it if it works it works like at least right. I'm I'm I feel like I'm like giving it it's it the respect that what I feel the genre deserves Sure absolutely yeah, yeah. um so like when like writing your current book your next book um like I'm very um, visual with like my stuff. So I'll see something and go, Oh, that's cool. Or I'll see a location and go, Holy man, that, that is beautiful. Where is that? Or that's, mm -hmm. you know, neat. Or, like the archeology, span archeology pages and history pages that I follow. Um, like when you get an idea for a story and then you kind of go, Ooh, I think I can turn this into something. Um, like, what does that look like as far as your process where, you know, is it like you, you take a note and then you let it sit or do you go full bore, write a synopsis of the book, uh, start an outline? Like, what, where does it kind of blossom from there? Like, where does it? Book cover. Same. <laughs> that's that's Same. what I. That's what I'm known for. Whether whether I'm going to use you and that I book have cover. made probably two or three hundred yeah. book covers that are never going to get produced, like written. Exactly. Between the, you and me, with the messages yeah. that we sent back and yeah. forth with book covers, yeah. Yeah. dude, I can go through our Facebook Messenger history and go. Where the hell are all of these? <laughs> like these are, oh my gosh! And the variations. David Wood makes fun of me so bad for this because I'll get these ideas yep. all hours of the night. And now, doing a book cover for me is a form of of catharsis. It's a yeah, it's therapy. It's it's fun. It's like it's like telling a story. It's like writing a book, yeah. but it 
that you can do it so much faster. Sure. Um, and so a lot of times that, that creative nudge, all it needs is to be kind of scratched. And yeah. that book cover really kind of does it. But oh, I uh, saw this awesome rendered image of Devil's Tower in Wyoming, and I'm like, I'm writing a book about Devil's Tower. And then that was like literally it. And then that's where the Roosevelt yeah. conspiracy came from. Yeah. Just because so, I saw Devil's Tower, and I'm like, I've never written about like that area. Right. Like, and then I'm like, oh, Rose so, Roosevelt. But essentially, I'm like, yeah. Essentially, it comes down to this. Um, you know, like there's a series that I came up with the other day. Well, it's been about a month now that that I that I am going to write. It's been pushed to the back burner because I have another story series idea I want to do. And I, by the way, here recently I have um, promised myself I'm limiting my series to three max sure. uh, because that's another thing. I had too many series going on and and it was just too much to keep up with. So three yep. max. But yep. But I was driving home from work. And I saw a ice cream truck driving down the neighborhood and uh, it, ice cream trucks creep me out um, because, and this is from my criminal justice background, because it's like, oh, what better place you're going crim- to ruin ice cream for me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> what, what a better, what better place for a criminal to be Yeah. than uh, in an ice cream truck, especially if it was a pedophile or something like that. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I got to pondering that and I'm like, well, what if you had a career criminal who was trying to change his life, trying to get on the right track, and the only business that he could – or job he could get was driving an ice cream truck? And uh, and what if this is the meanest-looking, scariest-looking dude that you've ever seen, but he had a heart of gold? And uh, and what if he a murder happened on his route – Mm-hmm. And he was accused because of his past, sure, of being the one to murder this person. And so from there, that's where uh, the idea for my Ice Pick and Melvin mystery series came about. Now I, I intend to write that, but the first thing I did was came up with the idea. I had to do a book cover. Yeah, and the title for the first one was it tickled ice, me. Ice cream for murder. Yeah, oh, yeah. it was so, I'm like I'm sitting here going kent I, you know i'm like i can't i can't not i can't not yeah. smile when i see that i'm like it's... yeah and so and then but that's been put on the back burner because i had another another idea yeah. and i and i and I've i put this book, I, I put this book cover out on facebook as well and the response was so staggering that it was one of those things where okay well after i finish one foot in the grave book three of the grim days mystery series i've got to make this my next my next priority and it was sure a, it was a book um called uh, the ives have it mm-hmm. and it's ives i-v-e-s and the sure. the series ti- the series title is the private ives mysteries and <laughs> essentially it's about a married couple uh buster ives who is a private investigator and Dolores Ives, who is a newspaper reporter, and uh, they are essentially uh, they go to a, a big mansion for a big social gathering, and somebody's murdered. And the two of them essentially, literally, will be tripping each other to get to the the answer to this 
mystery first. Uh, they backstab each other. They they love each other crazily, but yeah. the the reporter, the, the the wife, she wants that story. The the PI, he wants to solve the mystery. Sure. So and they are you know so and that that was inspired by I've got three inspirations uh, for for this particular story. Um, the Thin Man series. If you've never watched the Thin Man series, you mm-hmm. definitely need to. With William Powell, Myrna Loy, uh, fantastic, hilarious mystery series written by. Um, uh, uh, watch me have a mental block now. <laughs> uh, I keep wanting. I keep several. wanting to say Raymond. I keep wanting to say Ra- Raymond Chandler, and it wasn't Raymond Chandler. It was. Uh, uh, he wrote Sam Spade and everything else. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but you got the Thin Man series, His Girl Friday with Cary Grant. Um, and then the third inspiration was the, um, get out, get out of the way, cat. Uh, the, uh, East Side Kids, uh, movies from the 1940s as well, which, uh, the Bowery Boys also is part of that series. Uh, very funny comedy yeah. So essentially, you've got this this mansion in a uh, uh, this murder in a mansion, um, with a potential mad scientist, and there might be an escaped gorilla who shows up uh, as uh, well. Dashiell Hammett. Ah, that's it. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot that. I mean, he's the dude. He's yeah. the guy. Yeah. But... That's uh, that's Google. You know, <laughs> it works. <laughs> I'm always. But it... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah. So. It, so I did this book cover for it, very classic mm-hmm. 1940s book cover, um, and and people just have gone crazy for it. So that's, and that's going to be set in period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That that'll that'll obviously give it, and that is the advantage of writing period. I'm just I'm just not good at it, and it's also keeping things in period, yeah. uh, and um, but it does give you more. It gives you more mystery because there's less technology. Exactly. You don't have a cell phone. You don't have Google. You don't have. Right. So you're in the moment and you're stuck in the moment because that's. And, and I'll tell you right now, too, writing Jack Sigler continuum books taught me a major lesson um, that I didn't know about myself as a writer. Okay. Doing historical fiction for me is so much easier uh, than modern. I could never do a Jack Sigler story set in modern times because I, i'm not up on the latest yeah. military the, te- the techno thriller um, stuff is not my bag yeah, either yeah. yeah i i could never really do any of, of that stuff um and and so with mysteries them you know especially the kind of mysteries i write well first of all um what warren murphy the guy who created remo williams told me was write what you know well sure. i kn- i know murder investigation i know mm-hmm forensics i know all these things so it doesn't require a lot of research for me um but uh but even more to the point my guys my miss my detectives my slews um are just normal people they yeah. you know and it's one of the and i'm staying away from even writing about cops really because um you know in my genre of mysteries typically the slews are always amateurs so I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about all this technical stuff, but writing historical is even better because I don't have to worry. Like you said, if they are going to break into a house, I don't have to worry about burglar alarms or how to, you know, uh, yeah. it's, 
one of the things I re- I remember um, Tom Selleck cameras and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I remember Tom Selleck's movie Lassiter. Um, you know, I loved it mm-hmm. because it was set in that time period, and he could just you know break into places as a thief and yeah. and didn't have and to worry about. That's what's so appealing, about... like with indie, right? It's the yeah, same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the yeah. same thing. You're you're limited by the technology that you have at the mm-hmm. time. And it makes it more, honestly, it makes it more creative too, because you have to be, well, how do they get out of this situation without it just being, like I said, you take out your phone, you Google the answer and boom, the mystery's over. It's like, you know, sometimes. Right. And Indiana Jones didn't have global satellites to find lost cities for him. No. You know, so it it may, it, it does make it a little more challenge, makes it more challenging for the, for the hero. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also I think more interesting as well yeah. because you don't you don't have an easy cheat no you don't you don't and um oh man that's the one i guess that's the one thing that's why i've never been a fan of like sword and sorcery and like space operas is because there's so many opportunities to just cheapen it and make it easy because mm-hmm. oh it's because of magic or oh it's because of this technology it's because of whatever and i'm like Oh, like, how do they get from point A to point B? Oh, well, light speed engines. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I mean, you're not wrong, but at the same time, I'm like, that yeah. doesn't help the story. I mean, it kind mm. of condenses the story to where, okay, well, now it's over. Well, <laughs> like, but I will, but I will say for, from, from a, from a literary technical aspect, mm-hmm. um, like they do it in, not so much on in books, but yeah, they do it in books too. But move uh, TV shows and movies too, and and mysteries anyway. Um, with and I've I've been because I'm writing um, this third book in the in the uh, Grim Days mystery series. I do what I always do. I turn to my my uh, first loves, of, and I'm, I've been binge watching Castle. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that they do every time, and it drives me nuts. The medical examiner always pinpoints time of death was between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. So always give them a three-hour window. Of, well, in reality, you can't do that. In reality, the, the 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 best answer to the question, when do you think they died, was the, when were they last seen alive? And then when were they found? Well, they died sometime between the time they were last seen alive and the last and when they were and found. that's just the conditions of of the area in the body can determine yeah there's but there's so many variables in this scenario sure. it, it, you know if the person if the person died with a fever they're mm-hmm. going to go into rigor mortis quicker and go and start decomposing or if quicker. they if they died in a cold climate yeah, exactly so yeah. there's no way to do that but for technic for technical reasons sure for 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 writing the story that three-hour window allows them to narrow down the suspects so it makes it so that a, a forty-five minute TV show sure can be easier to do. So the warp speed thing that you were talking about mm-hmm. is sort of that same very you know if yeah. you if you had to get there within and and once I'm not a big fan of space operas either although I you know Star Wars fan well the original trilogy anyway yeah yeah um yeah it, it, it's just one of those things where sometimes i i overlook those things because of mm-hmm. necessity that's why i'm such a big fan of so my favorite star wars productions ever are rogue one and the mandalorian series yeah i, I can agree with that and the biggest reason is because they're very grounded stories they don't rely on 
the big bombastic over the top like you know space battles and and this mm. and whatever they're they're planetary they're like like i loved rogue one because i thought it was shot like a world war ii movie it like, was yeah it was it was beautiful and i i just i was more i guess i related to the story more right and um and that's that's i'm not the only person to say that i know a lot of people prefer this the way that rogue one was put together versus i mean you know a lot of the and that's that's saying the original star wars trilogy too i just i watch rogue one and i just i'm zoned in and locked in immediately now the the classicness and the actors i'm a huge harrison ford guy so like that kind of stuff i get it and you know i like it but you know as far as like the story and like you know ben mendelson amazing villain in it uh, that type of stuff great cast and i'm like all right you know that's more my thing and mandalorian comes out and i'm like oh yeah this is like spaghetti western meets you know meets star wars and the actor i'm like this was like that's totally my jam and you know I, oh there's but no, that's there's like no the doubt. least star warsy of Ma- like the manda the mandalorian is without a doubt the best franchise yeah. of the star wars and they said uh there was a meme that has mando and has Jin with his helmet on and he goes Ow, why does my back hurt so bad and he says because you're carrying the weight of an entire franchise <laughs> and you're and like sitting here going it's right it's true yeah it's true so but yeah i mean so like are you um classic question uh how far when you're writing a story are you like like David Wood is a friend of ours, dense outliner, has everything, his T's crossed, his I's dotted before the story really starts. Now, whether he holds to it or not, because, you know, you write a story and you come up with something better, sure. Mm-hmm. But, like, I I fancy myself kind of the tweener of the pantser and the outliner where I get it outlined so far ahead that I have a direction, but I don't really go further than that because of just the organic storytelling that I like to immerse myself in. What about you? I it, it it when you're dealing with mysteries, you have to. Sure. You have to outline. Um, when I started out as an adventure writer and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, no, nah, I I just I had a general idea of what I wanted to do, and I yeah. just and I just winged it. Um, I and like the world building and all of these things we yeah. were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, that could take a year before you yeah. actually write yeah. the story. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I. With I quickly learned when I started writing mysteries that if I didn't know what was going to happen, at least chapter to chapter, mm-hmm. then I was going to run into all kinds of problems that could only be fixed by major rewrites later on down the road. So I've, I've evolved over the years. I, I, ha- I know a lot of people use Scri- uh, Scrivener. Scrivener, however you pronounce that. Yes. Um, yeah, Scrivener. I, uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I've never, I've never figured it out. No. Um, but I use OneNote, and and okay. all of all of my books have, um, you know, little the little folders and whatever. And so and so, or actually, I, I usually divide it up into series. So the series. So even when I'm not writing a book, if I see an article or something like that mm-hmm. uh, online. I'll send that article to that particular folder for future reference and, sure. and that kind of thing. But then I typically start writing out. Um, I've got a, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes I, on my tablet, I'll write it out, you know, the characters out that do, do the little uh, uh, descriptions and everything, but mm-hmm. I do that all in, in one note. Uh, and then I'll start typing out uh, a chapter by chapter, 
outline. I'm doing it right now for uh, one foot in the grave. Um, and, and that way I'm able to move things around if I need to move chapters around and stuff like that. But that way I know exactly where the story is going, where there may, may be where it starts to drag, uh, sure. where, where I need to make sure that I've got some kind of action or danger mm-hmm. or something like that to, to happen. Um, it's just the best way. And then I also know where I'm going to drop in the clues or the red herrings. Um, and, and that way I know, cause I, I'm a firm believer in what's called fair play mysteries where the reader, by the time they is, you know, towards the end of the book, they should have all the clues necessary to solve who done it. Um, I, I I make sure I don't pull put anything in there last minute to say surprise. Here's a character you've never seen before, and he's you know. So I really believe yeah. in fair play. So the 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 uh, outlines really help me to make sure that by the end of the book, there the clues are all there for the reader to be able to solve. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, writing full time now, um, I'm more willing and more, I guess, appreciative of the outlining process because, um, like you writing, you know, is, is therapy for you and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a hobby, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dumb it down to that far, but it's, it's a, you enjoy it. And, Mm um, you know, when I'm, you know, more or less working retail for 20 years of my adult life, uh, in different facets, um, writing needed to be fun. It needed to be immersive and hence the action adventure genre. Um, I don't travel a lot. I don't travel well. It's not that I don't like to, I just don't travel well as far as like physically, uh, between inner ear problems and just sick. I just don't travel well. So I don't like to travel. Um, I don't like the traveling process. I want to go places, but I need to be beamed. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm exactly that way. But, you know, I'm the yeah. same exact way. So I live vicariously through my characters as far as world travel and like all these awesome places. And but the journey of the character needs to be my journey because it doesn't feel like work. Sure. And but now um, because I am trying not just to write great stories, I'm trying to write the best stories I can. And I'm, you know, and, and partnering with other authors and, and, you know, partnering with Nick at the Conundrum Publishing and that kind of stuff. Like, I, I see what, I don't want to say, like, what the real professionals do, but I see the guys that have taken it the next step with their craft and go, oh, I understand why they're doing this now because now I'm in that same situation. Yep. And it does make it easier, but it's just new and different for me, so it's hard to accept. But, um, so, quick tangent there, or quick runoff. Uh, charade media. Mm-hmm. Charade, um, charade. I'm excited. I'm I'm excited to talk about it. So yeah. So charade uh, is a, a new baby of yours, and it is your uh, m- basically mystery publishing company. Yes. Um. But uh, yeah, tell us about it. Charade is something that I have been working for for quite a few years now. I I had originally had I had uh, this is my second publishing company. Mm-hmm. I had a publishing company a few years back called seven realms publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, seven realms referred to the seven genres that we, we published uh, mistake. Number one, by the way, yeah. um, way too many uh, yeah. genres. And, and it, 
there was no way to brand yep. the the company that way. Um, but I loved it and it was very successful. We published David Goleman. We published Jeremy Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, we published High Conrad, the, one of the head writers for TV show Monk. Um, you know, we had a lot of great, uh, nice. great stuff out there, but it was a one man show. It was just me, nobody else. And although creatively I'm, I'm really good at the creative stuff. I'm horrible at the business end of things as far as, um, mm-hmm. uh, taxes go, as far as, uh, yeah, payroll book, keep, and this bookkeeping and, yeah, and all yeah, that stuff. I, I just hated it. So it got to the point where we got so big, seven realms got so big that, but, but not big enough that I could pay anybody to, to, to help me. Cat, you're going to make me fall over. (laughs) Um, But finally I had to shut down because it was just too much. It was just way too much. So I shut, I shut. uh, Yeah. And you're working full time. You're trying to write as much as you can. Now you're running a publishing company. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. So, so, and I think it was around 2017, 16, 17, I shut seven realms down and, uh, it was sad because I, I enjoy the publishing process. I love mm-hmm. book, doing book covers. I love formatting books. I love marketing. I love all that stuff. But uh, anyway, so since then, I have actually been wanting to a start a publishing company uh, with a more focused uh, you know genre. And yeah. but but I was not and I was adamant about not doing this unless I actually had help. Mm-hmm. And so for the last few years, I've been, uh, you know, Nick and I talked about it when he was starting uh, Conundrum. Conundrum. Yep. We, you know, we talked about maybe doing something together and, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and it never, once again, it was just something that the, t- the timing wasn't right for me at that particular point. It just didn't, it just wasn't going to work at the time. Um, and then it was the weirdest thing. Uh, my sister posted an old photograph of me and my best friend in high school together. Um, and, and something clicked. It was this, this best friend of mine, he had been a newspaper uh, publisher. Um, currently he's a, a, a real estate guy in, in Chattanooga. But the one thing that he has always been was business savvy. Mm-hmm. And I knew he had always been business savvy. And so I reached out to him from based on that one photo that my sister shared. Um, and I said, Hey, I've got a proposition for you. I'm curious what you think about this. He, to my knowledge, he had no interest in books, no interest in other than the newspaper publishing aspect of things. Um, and even then he was, he, uh, he was more focused on ad sales than he was editorial stuff. But, um, but I, I talked to him about it and, He's like, I would absolutely love to, to do something with you on this. And on top of that, um, he has two daughters. Uh, both of them are, well, I think one daughter's currently in college and she is studying uh, creative writing and, and that oh, kind of thing. Um, good timing. Yeah. Good yeah timing, the, the, nice. the, other, the other daughter had majored in uh, literature. Okay. And so uh, both the, his daughters were really interested in, in joining us as well. The oldest daughter had a boyfriend who was into marketing. Or his his background, I cat's laying on my keyboard. I didn't want I didn't oh, want him to yeah. start I, I didn't want him to start typing uh, writing a book while I was talking. <laughs> on, on. 
but uh the but one the oldest daughter's boyfriend was uh, his degree was in marketing so he helped design the whole our website mm-hmm. um and he you know he's helping us with uh, you know we're going to be doing qr codes and and making sure that all of our books have qr codes in them yeah. and all kinds of different things uh, so right from the get-go i had a whole team and I can't forget my, my business, my business partner's name is Sean Smith and his wife is Chrissy and she's not officially part of the team, but I call her the heart of the team because she sort of is the glue that holds everything together. Yeah. Um, and it was like, it was just like a perfect match. And mm-hmm. like I said, and Sean handles, I mean, he, I, he did things to get this thing off the ground that I had no idea that, I, you know, you needed to do, you, you know, he, business licenses and and uh you know mm-hmm. tax ids and although that's uh, that's nick so that's something yeah. that i don't know and have um, basically no interest in knowing because <laughs> i'm doing yeah. all i'm doing a lot of the marketing i'm doing um yeah. uh the agent work you know contracting mm-hmm. new authors that kind of stuff podcasts like yeah. like the development of it and i told yeah. nick because his his background is seo manipulation and and yeah. marketing and website building and all that stuff I'm like, dude, that's great because I have zero background in all of that. And, so and we're his, perfect together. And I'll <laughs> tell perfect. you, his, his <laughs> website, his website building is just amazing. Um, yeah. I was I was talking to him the other day about your all's uh, store, your mm-hmm. website store, and yeah, the, the, I mean, it just looks phenomenal when you click on those book covers and it, you know, the product screen comes up and everything. It yeah. just looks, it looks. Yeah, Nick um, Nick did a lot. Of, Nick Nick did so much. Um, like world building basically did Mm -hmm. so much to get everything off the ground and going. And, um, we have a massive, massive project that we're going to be working on this summer, uh, conundrum publishing wise, uh, that I, I, I hope and I plan, I mean, I'll tell you, but we're nowhere near announcing anything, um, that I, I hope is going to help kind of, um, I don't want to say change the industry, but it, I think it's just a part of the industry that just doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think it's going to be something that's really going to help, um, really help the independent small guy. And, and and that's what I'm hoping. And, you know, we have an idea. It's going to take a lot of work. I don't even 100% know if it's possible because of just all of the, the, the I's that need to be dotted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, th- there's, there's stuff that we're going to work on this summer that I hope is going to be um, a game changer when it comes to just the industry. And maybe, uh, I, I, you know, I... I I don't want to pat ourselves on the back for something that doesn't exist, but well, and and, and you guys, I mean, I'll I'll say you, you conundrum is super innovative, um, and the mm-hmm. and the, your your process, the yeah. way you you acquire authors, um, the way you develop the books by yeah. these authors and everything, mm-hmm. I I would be terrified to to yeah. do it the way that you guys are doing it. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's, you know, just brave and, yeah. and not, not afraid of trying this, this stuff. Um, charade is, is super traditional. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I posted on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Nick has done the innovative side of things where I, yeah. I would be more on the traditional side of things just because that's what I know. And that's what I'm comfortable yeah, with. Exactly. Right. But Nick is willing to do a lot of this other tech, you know, the techie stuff that I don't yeah. understand. So that's why I just let him do his thing. He tells me what he's doing. He, he, he explains it to me, but physically doing it and understanding it. I said, look, man, that is your world. Mm-hmm. As, as long as you clue me in and you tell me what I'm supposed, supposed to do with it. 
what, what I'm supposed to do with it, I'll go do it. But it's yeah. like that side of things. I just, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the, the background. Well, and, and I would be in your shoes. I mean, yeah. you know, cause charade is very traditional, I, even to the point where, first of all, yeah, we're, we just getting started. We started in mm-hmm. uh, the first of February. Um, in my mind, we've already surpassed uh, Kensington and Crooked Lane books who are a big, uh, uh, mm-hmm. mystery you know indie, indie uh, publishers or whatever although yeah. you know it's nowhere near that but my vision is to get to, to grow past them to, sure. to become like them and yeah. that means you know i'm really focused on um brick and mortar bookstore placement which mm-hmm. right now it's it's not really possible but yeah unless um, you're a part of like the big five publishing companies it's almost impossible well and they right have now. they have programs the uh, yeah. random mm-hmm. house has programs where small presses can partner with them and and yeah. they will distribute um you've got things like barnes and noble uh small press department where you know you've got to you send them info about your book and show them yeah you know. so there's there's ways to go about it and usually that's usually going to be a test market or whatever but Right now we're just testing the waters, but my thing is I'm really going to push, uh, you know, just in my own um, informal surveys from especially your generation, young, you mm-hmm. know, younger. Uh, it's it's funny that so many people are moving back to print books yeah. as as opposed to eBooks. Um, yeah, but I think that. For the most part, ebooks and audiobooks are naturally going to sell if they if they're purchased on online. Uh, but if they can find them in bookstores, I think people prefer, yeah, print. To, oh, I prefer a physical book. I, I I'll be the first one to say that I prefer the physical book if I can. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I, I, charades really going to push for. Um, our 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 paperback or even hardback books we're really mm-hmm. going to focus on on those uh but we're also moving towards uh also uh more of an independence for audiobook um i'm trying to i'm trying to pull away as much as i can from amazon being the uh, domineering factor and everything because uh, i think ju- a lot of small businesses are so just they so, are yeah. just uh, draconian and and having to deal with them and, mm-hmm. and uh, recently I've got a book by William Meikle um, yep. uh, that's on pre-order right now. Willie. Uh, yeah, Willie. Everyone loves Willie. And, and yep. Willie is one of my favorite authors, by the way. I should have pointed him out as far as nobody does mythology like he does. Yeah, his Esquad stuff is is <sighs> legendary in our yeah. in our line of work. Yeah, but um, he uh, but anyway, I. I struggled so hard because they weren't linking. Amazon would refuse to link his paperback and his his, his uh, ebook, e-book. Uh, and primarily because, and they told me point blank because I, as the publisher, reached out to them to to get them to to link them, because I did the print book through Ingram, and <laughs> not through KDP. Um, there's nothing we can do. Um, so I had Willie had, you know, the author shouldn't have to do the publisher's job and get these books linked. So that's, I just went off on a tangent, but. Oh no, I have a quick one where we, I republished my dead moon series, uh, which is now called the unseen with conundrum got brand new covers from the amazing David Barron's. Uh, he did some great covers for me. And because um, his his ability to do that classic like post apocalyptic sci fi cover mm-hmm. 
that's just not my style. So he's just right. very good at it. So I had him do the covers. The fourth book in the series got red flagged for copyright and property infringement. And I'm like, so these are prior books that have been released. Yeah. Have been cleaned up, but have not been rewritten. And this thing has been on the market for three years, two and a half years. And I'm like, and I try to publish it again, and now there's copyright and blah, blah, blah issues. Yeah, yeah. Where was this and, before? Yeah, where was this before? And I'm sitting here going, so what do we do? And Nick's just like, I literally told them that the owner and, and owner of this these rights is the publisher. Like, it's you, Matt. It's your stuff mm -hmm. that you are just republishing through your company. And I'm like... And I'm like, I know. And he goes, there because the stuff that he goes, it, it can take you know uh, five to seven business days to uh, investigate. And I'm like, okay. Well, a week goes by, and Nick checks his account; it's published. And I'm like, or he checks our account. I'm like, what happened? He goes, no idea, but it's published. And I'm like, <laughs> well, <laughs> and and if you ever deal, if you ever have to deal with their their support people. Um, and usually, you know, through email or whatever, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't help but wonder if I'm not doing talking to a chat bot, uh, yeah. an, a, an AI thing, because yeah. it's like I can send them an email about and this very, I'm very specific, very concise, very, you know, mm -hmm. this is the issue. And they respond back and as if they'd never read the email. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it, so. Any, any any way that we can get charade away from, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Amazon is part of the, the landscape of publishing. Yeah, yeah you're you never going to be able to leave it. You can't get away from it. Yeah. But I, I started getting away from their exclusivity when I was just publishing my own stuff um, mm -hmm. because of that very reason. I, I don't trust them. They it, it, On a whim, they can decide, well, we – we've detected copyright infringement on this book. Yeah. You know? Um, and so that, yeah. that, uh, if you don't have other areas or avenues of, 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 um, uh, you know, to be able to sell your books, it, you don't have anything. So, so I'm really pushing for all these other avenues. So I'm excited to say, and you'll be the first person oh. to, to hear this. I mean, we are building our own, um, stable of audiobook narrators nice nice so it'll be you know one of the reasons we chose charade media as opposed yeah. to charade publishing was we wanted to make sure that we didn't pigeonhole ourselves into one particular uh media and yeah. so uh we're going to have our own audiobook uh production uh as well as the the publication of the of the print and ebook, so um, nice. I've already, I've already cool. got I've got two narrators already uh, set up to start being part of us, and I'm still looking uh, working on a few others, and uh, so we'll gradually build that up so that I always got I have somebody in mind to to narrate a particular book. Yeah, no, and I've I've been you know lucky enough and blessed enough to have the amazing Matthew Crow. Uh, do my Jack Riley series and uh, he's interested in doing some other projects for me too which is phenomenal and him and I get along great he is he, like I mean you're like the RC Rays of the world the Ray Porters yeah. of the world Jeffrey Kafers right. of the world I mean you have like your gold standards right um, I put him up there because a it's my stuff but b when I hear him 
narrate and then I hear him perform the characters, it's exactly what I want. And I'm, I, there's never been a time where I'm like, oh, I wish Matt did this different. And I'm like, oh my God, he's, he's Jack. Like he yeah. just nailed. Cause I'm like, and he reads the book, he re reads them and he goes, Matt, he goes, these are going to be so fun because I'm enjoying the hell out of these stories. So I can't wait to perform them. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Because I'm just sitting here going, the narrator loves the books, which means you're going to be able to hear it in Absolutely. his performance. Mm -hmm. And when I hear his performance, I'm always just, I just giggle. I'm just giddy about it. Cause I'm like, these are my books. And I got this awesome dude reading them. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. You, you talk about that because my first audiobook I had done was uh, for primal thirst. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to get a guy by the name of Kiff Vanderhoevel who, who performed his book. The guy is, um, he he's a student at Second City uh, Comedy, whatever. But he's been in uh, he's he's was a recurring character on Parks and Recreation. He was uh, he was in I can't remember one of the mo more recent Batman movies uh, as a cop. He was you know bit we're talking bit parts, but the guys mm -hmm. the guy's been around. Um, brilliant, in my opinion, brilliant actor, and his comic timing was so perfect and with that particular character in enigma directive um and primal thirst jack uh, 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 uh now I'm, I'm drawing a blank but anyway he he nailed it and it was such a just perfect uh his his expressions the way he the way he carried himself when he was doing jack when he was doing this it was just perfect and i was always so I felt so privileged to have him narrate that book. Unfortunately, it didn't sell very well. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable asking him to, and we were doing split royalties. So yeah, I didn't feel comfortable um, asking him to do the, the second book or whatever, but he, I know that feeling of, of finding that perfect yeah. voice. Well, then and, you had the, you had, you had a really great, I mean, you've had Kafer do, you know, yeah. some books, you're, you mm -hmm. know, the Jeremy's books and yeah. you know, he, he's another guy where you just, you hear the voice and you're just like, he's just, he's, he's like, like, you know, like Bob Bray and he's just born to do this, man. It's just like, I was, I, oh, and talk about Bray, uh, uh Island he, 731. Yeah. Oh, I love when he got to play a character named Bob Bray. <laughs> and it and jeremy said he goes i told bob to be bob like it was like when i heard, when i'm like oh my god you have rc bray narrating a character named bob ray and he is a hilarious character in the book and the book is not a funny book it's it's an amazing no that's not th that that book needed needed to have some of yeah of bob's humor yeah. in there because it's yeah. a it's a heavy book it's probably yeah. when it, it's probably jeremy's in my opinion best but uh Oh well, yeah, no, I, I put it up there when I tell people, you know what I'm like, dude, Island 731. Mm -hmm. When I first read that, and then now I got, I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've listened to the audiobook. I'm just like, dude, that story and the audiobook because of Bob's performance. Oh, you hear the purring? Yeah. Hi, Morty. That's Morty, right? <laughs> yeah, this is Morty. Yeah, that's Morty. Yeah, I've I've it's... followed your uh, your cat dad pictures, so um, <laughs> believe me, I, I'm there. I have yeah. a 75 pound two-year-old dog and I have my, uh, <laughs> my street cat, my black cat that we rescued a while back. 
he's getting he's getting restless but um but no i was fortunate enough to get bob to narrate i died swallowing a goldfish and other life lessons in the morgue and, yeah uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know just of course i don't know if it, you can do that anymore he ever since he did the martian oh, he man. just he's just exploded yeah. and i know Jer- jeremy and bob's books are the the audiobooks they're just all i mean just they've just they blown nuts. up yeah, yeah and, uh, just... he does um nicholas sansbury smith's books too so. He does his Helldiver series. Uh, he, I think he does more than that, but his Helldiver series is the one I'm familiar with. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to, because I've been wa- wanting to read the Helldiver series, but uh, it's, I'd rather it's, listen to yeah. Bob perform it. So. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah, you see some of the books that he's done, you're just like, wow. You're like, man. Uh... Well, well, of and course, he's hilarious. Think, he's hilarious oh, on social I, media I think, too. I think, I think where everybody got to know know him, at least in Jeremy's circles would be the last hunter series um uh, and that's you and, and i you and i have had yeah. a very long discussion on that yeah. series and what yeah. it means and how amazing yeah. it is yeah it, it is phenomenal but the way bob did his the the voice work of a young saul mm-hmm. and throughout the series gradually notched it up to where he was maturing and getting older yeah. and older and older was, well then even the it, gods even you bring in like the chronos character and you bring in like some of the the you know the big booming deep guttural yeah. like voices you're just like dude he he's just when you hear his voice and you're like okay that's bob's voice but then you hear what he can do with it yeah you're like wow that's even more impressive i i actually back when before he became bob mm-hmm. um you know before he was really well known i was fortunate enough to get him to when i had seven realms publishing to narrate uh willie meekles um is Midnight Eye Files books, which are, by the way, are my favorite of Willie's okay. books, the Midnight Eye Files. Once again, well, Lovecraftian PI kind of a situation mm-hmm. here. But of course, anybody who knows Willie knows he's Scottish, so yep. his characters are Scottish. Yep. So th- this Midnight Eye Files series is first person perspective. Oh, geez. So I got Bob. To narrate all three of the books for for the Midnight I Files, um, all in Scottish, and uh, can you imagine? Oh my gosh! Uh, you know what is he new from from New England or whatever? I'm not quite sure where Bob's uh, from. I th- but... Well, I think I think he's from like the Boston area, like that yeah. that area, because yeah. I I know the Bob Bray character from Island 731 was, and then you know Jeremy is you know you know up in that area. Um, you know, between uh, New Hampshire and, and you know, uh, Connecticut and all that stuff. So um, I I don't know exactly where Bob is from, but I, I think he's from that area as well. Um, if so I'm he did a phenomenal, he did an yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. job doing a Scotsman uh, accent. Uh, that's, that's awesome. In, in that's that awesome. Series. But, yeah, he's, he's just amazing. No, it really is. Um, like outside of this, um, obviously, you know, we're both, you know, we're both busy in, in our own rights and stuff. And, you know, especially with you starting up charade. Um, what is what is it when it's 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 not your day job and it's not this part of your world? What does Kent do to just let it go and just blow off steam and just relax? Like, is there anything, or is it very much like me, where it's like I'm doing artwork, I'm doing other stuff, and it's it's a yeah. part of the business, but it, it's not work. Pretty, you know, pretty much. I, I'm divorced, uh, so I'm single. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no children, um, well, except for my cats, but you know, yeah. uh, they take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, you know, pretty much my life revolves around charade and my writing and sure. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Some people might say that that's, uh, depressing. That's like, well, I'm, first of all, I'm a, I'm a extroverted introvert. Um, I prefer to be alone. Mm-hmm. I can be around people and I can, but I have very limited ability to maintain energy when I'm around people. I worked in sales for two decades and I would much yeah. rather be a home. Yeah. Like, like, so I can do it, but it's not what I'm like. I'm good at it. I'm amazing at it, but it's not what I, it's not what I prefer. So yeah. I'm a, I, I'm a hermit. Um, I like to, I like to stay home. Now I live in, in my opinion, one of the, the most amazing towns in mm-hmm. the nation. So I do like to go downtown and, and explore and, and do stuff yeah. like that. Love going, my, my probably my favorite out of the house pastime is going to uh, Barnes Noble or any other book, bookstore I can find. But typically, um, my my thing is is working on my books, working on somebody else's books. Uh, I really I love to love, do it too. So I mean, I don't yeah. I don't fault yeah. you for that. I love doing it I, too. So. I love doing book covers. Whether uh, hmm. you know, I, I'll have I'll have uh, author friends that I'm not publishing, or I'll have you know, but they'll yeah. they'll, they'll they'll tell me about their story, and I'll immediately go and just do a do a cover. Hey, you like this? Uh, and you know, um, now I do. If if they ask me, if they approach me, I will charge them for that. Well, yeah. But if it's something that I just got inspired to do, I've been known to to give covers away. But because it's just a, a, a therapeutic for me to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I do uh, covers. I do covers for Severed Press, who my Jack Riley series is published through. I have a few other books published through them. Um, we are having Dave Barron's do most of the conundrum covers just for continuity um, because his style branding, branding exactly. Um, I'm doing some, like I, I have a series coming out with uh, my friend, uh, Richard F. Patton. Um, he writes creature features under RF Blackstone, but uh, he's transitioning over to action thrillers and that's just like his true love. So he wants to write those. Uh, so he's going to be writing under his, his, his given name. And uh, him and I are putting a series together called the Alex Wake Thrillers, and it's going to be like straightforward action thrillers. Um, and uh, he's he's so good. At, he's a Bondian disciple. Like you give him something that's like Bond esque, he right. goes nuts. He's so he's so because that's like his world. He loves it. Right. Um, so uh, I'm I'm producing a series with him. Uh, he's going to be doing a lot of like the first draft writing. I'm going to be uh, helping him outline, helping him build the world. Uh, but he's so fast. He's so he's like he's like. I, I, we love Jeremy, but he's like Jeremy from like eight years ago where right. it was like, right. how many books did you publish this year? Like, what do you right. do? Like, how long does it take 30 days? It takes you yeah. to write a first draft. What the heck? Yeah, he, like, I think, I think at one point Jeremy was writing like what, 25 books a, a year. Not really, but I mean, it was no, close. I it was remember the like one that. year it was like 12 or 13. He came out with yeah, when yeah. he was doing a bunch of different projects. And I'm like, yeah. Man, but uh, Rich is really fast. He's very dedicated. He's, he's, you know what his, his gift is, is, outlines and and time management he gives himself so many hours per day to write he has a target goal of this many words and it's like it's like clockwork that he just knocks out the word count that he needs and i'm like dude i wish you know he goes yeah but matt you you have family you have business you're running you're writing you're doing this he goes you're i'm like yeah i know i'm 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 pulled in a million different directions but being able to do that i was like 
Yeah, I have, I have no, I have no discipline when it comes to. I have very little, and that's that's the problem. Is I'm the same thing with you, where you know I've I have covers. So the series that we I'm doing the covers for all those for those books personally, but um, I already have the first seven made. <laughs> book titles the right. whole shebang i've shown them and rich is like oh yeah we're doing it and i'm like okay yeah. you know I'm like right. that was just because there is a style that's easy for me to replicate mm -hmm. and it's the perfect brand for what it is and mm -hmm. i'm like oh i see that image cool and then i see a name cool let's do it and then boom another cover and then oh, boom right. another cover and it just sets the theme it sets the mood and right. you know I, i've done that you know the relics of god series all four covers are done um you know and it, it's it's a, what i believe is my personal best work um, I'm very, very happy with those covers. Um, well, you, that. you absolutely just blew me away when, when you started first doing your covers and you were using what yeah. Gimp at the time. Yeah, and yeah, you and I were very, very, at, very at, at the ground I was, level. Yeah. I was so jealous of, of what you were able to do with Gimp and, and, and all that. Cause I use know, Photoshop I'd, now for specific work, like background removal and like, uh, some of like the healing tools that they do, but I don't produce my covers in Photoshop still. I really? do it. I, I use Photoshop because it is denser and there is, but the, but honestly the layout and the controls and the buttons and everything in, in GIMP are so streamlined and, and, and just dumb that I, I use that for like 95% of the actual cover building. And if I need to do specific stuff, I'll just convert it or I'll upload the images into Photoshop, do what I need to do. And then, you know, export them as PNGs and then upload them into Jimp and then keep going. I guess it all, uh, I guess it all depends on what, you, what we, what you start out with, you know? Yeah. Um, because D Dave Barron's has been trying to get me to use Photoshop too, because he'll do a cover. He'll send me the PSD file and like, cause there's like lettering and he goes, and I'll tell him like, he goes here, I'll send you the PSD and you just do the lettering you want since, you know, cause he knows I'm a cover designer. I'm specific. I mean, or retentive yeah. with stuff. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how to use this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. cause I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> like, you know, I like over your skis type of thing, but, uh, <laughs> right. you know, right. Well, I, I've, you know, I still use YouTube videos to, to learn yeah. new things with, Oh, the, so do I, with so do I, I'll Google but... like, how, how do I do this again? I have, can't remember, but and I think then... you and I both, um, you know, neither one of us had any formal no tra training and graphic design. I, no, I have and, none. Uh, it's YouTube tutorials is how I learned. Yeah. And and talking to you, talking to Jeremy, you know, talking to some guys that are cover designers as well. Uh, I have zero formal study like you do. So, I mean, uh, you know. And yeah. it was, it, but it was a fun process learning anyway. Oh, it is. It is. And and you know what? You, you, you continue to learn and you continue to get better at it. Uh, and it's just like anything else. It's trial and error. So, I mean, sure. I, I, I understand it. Um, so I like to um, finish these shows and, you know, thank you. It, it, it's been a wonderful time talking to you, Kent. Um, it really has been. Um, but I like to do these shows for um, the viewer and the listener. Um, if you need to recommend a, quote, Kent Holloway book, like mm -hmm. if you want people to know who Kent is, what of your portfolio can you say you need to read this to know what i do well as much as i love the um grim days mystery series mm -hmm. i'm going to go verge away a little bit and okay. um i think bef before i wrote the grim days series i did a a book called originally it was called calypso island mm -hmm. 
Um, and it, it didn't sell well. And I couldn't think of why it didn't sell well. Cause it was probably one of my, Kane Gilmore, actually, he edited it and he, you know, he's in agreement. Um, it's without a doubt my best book. And, um, but it was, um, set in 1955, um, 1956, something like that in a tropical Caribbean Island. And it's an ex pilot, uh, from world war two who's now a smuggler on this on this little island and he gets in some trouble with kgb agents um a voodoo cult and uh, a despotic uh, governor and and it was called like i said calypso island uh but now I, because I, I i changed the title i changed the cover because i thought well maybe that's why the it didn't sell very well. Mm-hmm. So when I when I started charade, I, I just went ahead and changed the name and said. So now it's called Murder yep. on Voodoo Island. Yep. Um, and I, I would say if you want to get a good picture of my style, that's a good one because and it includes first, a lot of the things that you have the element a deep exactly interest, the elements and stuff. T- yeah. typ- typically, you're you know I'm going to write things about voodoo, Santeria, Palo Mayambe, any of these Caribbean. Um, uh, religions and that kind of thing, or, uh, you know, the, I just loved, and it had Calypso music, which I love Calypso music, uh, mm-hmm. as well. It was actually, um, uh, murder on voodoo Island was actually inspired by a Calypso song called run Joe. So if you ever want to listen to a great song, uh, okay. go to YouTube and listen to run Joe. And it was inspired by that song. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you wanted to see what, what a Kent Holloway book is, Check that out. Cool, cool. And uh, what about something from someone else that either inspired you as an author or just something you just find incredibly entertaining and you would love other people to read? Well, I, from this, for this question, I'm going to give out a, a You can give a, out a couple if you want because it's well, a very uh, no, broad. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just shout out to a guy that I think deserves uh, a lot more recognition than he's getting. Uh, mm-hmm. His name is Ryan Rivers. Okay. And he he's written a series of of male oriented uh, cozy mysteries um, called um, uh, the Bucket List Mysteries, gotcha. and it it involves a former uh, child actor who used to have a TV show where he was a boy detective, and uh, he's not he really doesn't have much of a name for himself now, and him and his best friend, uh, well not best friend when the book series starts, but they become best friends, solve mysteries in this little small town. And it's very much like uh, the, the banter between them, the, the interaction between them, very much like uh, the TV show Psych. Um, okay. And, yep. and so very comical, uh, lots of laugh out loud uh, moments, but the mysteries are really well done. Um, they're very fair play. You can you know, really mm-hmm. get a, an appeal for uh, yeah, books. and uh, the first book in that is uh, Aerobics Can Be Deadly. Is, Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to check that out, Ryan Rivers, yeah. Aerobics Can Be Deadly. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually very curious because we talk th- we've talked about this at Nauseam privately, but um, the the Jeremy Robinson books that you and I really kind of latched on to, specifically right. the Antarctic Saga, because mm-hmm. I know you and I have always said, even to this day, it's one of our the favorite best. series mm-hmm. ever written. Absolutely. But it's, it's, but it's also our favorite Audiobooks, the the mm-hmm. just um 
Antarctos Rising, which was the 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 standalone of that that right. kind of launched the series, was the second book from Jeremy I ever read. First one was Chronos, uh, and uh, which was his version of Jonah and the Whale. Uh, mm-hmm. And and Jeremy does have some like uh, like biblical depth in a lot of his uh, specifically his early work, but a lot of his work. And um, he kind of inspired me for my current series, the Relics of God series, to be able to dip my toe into that story and still make it like broadly acceptable for readers. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone that I've ever recommended the Antarctic Saga to um, have gone, whoa, like where, how have I right. not? And yeah. I know you and I just specifically have always said like from day one, from first time that we talked and when we were in Jeremy's, um, you know, group together and it was like, dude, the Antarctos books, that's the stories. I, I wish, I wish the entire world would, would read them. That's how good they are. And I mean, yeah. if anything deserves movie or, you know, kind of a deal or whatever mm-hmm. to me, the Antarctos, uh, series yeah. definitely should get one and it's it's not just the subject matter and the way it's put together and the way he puts the world together but man the research mm-hmm. because there's like four different genres put into this thing <laughs> and each genre like the techno thriller the this the that mm-hmm. the the apocalyptic stuff that's in it with you know the, the end times end world stuff but then it's also the scientific research and the history and and then, and then you've got the super, superhero genre too yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you throw, you know, Solomon with his powers of, yeah. you know, Antarctica. Over, or over Antarctica, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so. it, and you're like, it's such a, it's mind-bending, but in the most entertaining way possible, because it's also so heavily character-driven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is one thing that I, that I, I mean, I definitely try to do is, you know, I have this amazing story, but it doesn't exist without my characters. And, you know, you re- and that's why I was always told from, from the get-go, uh, Sean Ellis, I think, told me this, another of, uh, you know, Jeremy's close friends and a, and a, a great produ- story producer in his own right. Um, he always said, he goes, if you can't explain it through narration, just do it through your characters. You know, make sure it's, or default to character narrative or, you know, dialogue. Um yeah. Because it always sounds better coming from the characters that your that your readers are identifying with. Doesn't sound so expository. Exactly. Like you get that Morgan Freeman effect where it's like two and a half pages of just narration and exposition, and then oh yeah, by the way, this is happening because it, it's right. it's the information dump can sometimes be just so overwhelming. Like I remember the first time I picked I played the Rainbow Six games, and then I found out that they were actually books because at that time I was just a kid playing video games. And I'm like, oh, Rainbow Six, Tom Clancy, this might be cool. I go to, we had this small little brick and mortar bookstore. Um, and I, I walked in and I'm like, okay. So I pick up and I see Rainbow Six and I'm like, it's 840 something pages. <laughs> and I'm like, good. Oh my, like to me, that's not a book. That's like, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and an I read epic. it. Yeah. And I read it in the first, I'm standing in the bookstore reading it and I'm like, like the first five or six pages is all just information military dump. And I'm like, whoa, like I'm like, this is like so far over my head that I don't know what's happening. And I didn't read it. I was just like, ah, maybe I'll, I'll do it late. I'm not ready for this. I don't understand it. And I'm like, I can see some of that in some current works. And I'm like, 
Thank, thank goodness I got the mentorship that I did at the beginning from, from, from a lot of you guys that have been doing it longer than I have, where it was like, the best stories are always the stories that revolve around the character, not the information. And, and the information is just a part of the story. I will say that every, every story I have written to date always began with the character. Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. never been a high concept writer. No. I, I think there's a place for high concept. Mm-hmm. But every story <clears throat> that I've ever come up with, I talked about the ice cream truck, yeah, you know, series. It started with them, um, the the I uh, Buster and Dolores Ives started with them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Even the Grim Reaper. Um, yeah, it well, always like Zara, starts... my Zara Kane character that I'm writing with Nick. I'm like, what if Laura Croft and Evelyn Carnahan were the same person? You know, Evie, right. and I'm like, you know, from yeah. the Mummy, and I'm like, that would be really freaking cool. I'm like, right, right. So, you know, so she has the Egyptian <laughs> heritage. She's an Amer, she's she's a she's an American with an Egyptian mother. You know, her her dad was from uh, was from Long Island. Her mom is from you know uh, in, from Egypt, and so I, I definitely did that with Evelyn in mind. And um, I'm like, but she's that globe trotting adventurer, you know, thriller, you know, uh, heroine like you know, like Lara Croft is. And I'm like, I, like, I built that, that series around this specific character because I wanted to feature, you know, like her background to the first book, you know, uh, uh, the Anubis plague, it's all Egyptian. It's all based on a lot of their, you know, the culture and the ancient culture and stuff. So, but it's the same idea. It started (laughs) with her. And then that's where like, everything everything just blossomed from i'm like okay who are her parents who's does she have a brother yeah she'll have a brother why not you know and uh, you know who's this who's that an uncle and then it just boom boom and then you know that's where that family tree and that story just kind of uh evolved but um but uh so any questions obviously with charade and stuff i know um uh if people have questions if there's um uh writers out there like i tell people with conundrum if there's writers out there specifically obviously in the genres that you know you're 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 zeroed in on to publish just like us um if they if they have questions and they need to get a hold of you and they're just not sure what to do with maybe a manuscript they have or an idea they have um where can they find you where can they find charade um sure. what's the easiest yeah uh, first of all apologize for the coughing all of a sudden we've been talking for so long and i don't have yeah drinks so. <clears throat> um the best place, first of all, um, charadebooks.com. Mm-hmm. Um, there's contact place for you to, to reach out to us. Um, we're also online. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and just, if you want to friend me, I'm good with that. Um, I'm sure. very friendly. So uh, yeah. I love helping authors. I love helping mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and uh, giving advice and whatever they need. And um, I do that. Yeah. Go, oh, sorry. Finish. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, Here's rigor. Um, hey, rigor. <laughs> um, essentially, uh, but yeah, they can just reach out to me either Facebook uh, under Kent Holloway or mm-hmm. uh, through Charade. Uh, as far as uh, submissions go, we're very traditional, so it's the same thing. We're looking yep. for very, very specific things. Um, we're looking for lighthearted traditionals or or cozy mysteries at this particular point. We may expand later on. Uh, we're doing Willie's book, which is more um, uh, classic, hard-boiled, but I like to call it soft-boiled. It's it's a it's a little on the lighter side. It's not as grim as as a lot of the other stuff that that may be sure. considered hard-boiled. 
but as long as it's light and and breezy and maybe makes me laugh and you've got some quirky characters or you know stuff like that and it's a traditional or uh, um, it's an actual whodunit i want to i want to be able to you know solve the the mystery um would be interested in hearing from you cool cool yeah and um we're very much uh action adventure action thriller uh you know non-stop just just take the reader on a journey so um you know obviously over at conundrum if you guys uh same same idea and you know like you can i'm i'm very willing to have a conversation with someone um i've had people pitch me ideas through facebook messenger and i was like well that's cool but if you did this this and this i think it would be a better idea or we would be more interested in something like that Right. And just give them because because some people have an idea, but maybe it's a genre they're not used to, or maybe they're self-published and they just haven't had a lot of success, and they're just <coughs> unsure if what they're doing has uh, has any holes in it. So you know, right. you know, I'd be more than willing to help. You know, more or less help produce the story just to get it underway. Um, right. So I mean, that's you know, that's you know, definitely something. But uh, Kent, thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking. I'm so happy that we finally got to do this. Oh, it's, um, it was a blast. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you can catch me everywhere online, mattjamesauthor.com, uh, conundrumpub.com if you have any questions or if there are uh, manuscripts to submit or emails to send with other questions, you can find us there. We're also on all major social media. Uh, I'll be more than willing to um, have a chat with you all. Uh, but thank you so much. Uh, find us on YouTube at Real Life Fiction. Uh, and just It's on the Conundrum Publishing page. And uh, we will see you guys later. Uh, like and subscribe on the show. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you.